Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to a post-game live here on Dime Dropper post-season action. For this one, we are going to be talking about the playing games that took place on Wednesday night. Sorry, I wasn't able to go live. I was just so busy. I had two practices to coach, so I actually had to watch the games recorded because I didn't want to know the results. And I ended up watching them, but it was so late, I just couldn't go live because I didn't think any of you guys would be on. Today's been a slow day for whatever reason for live attendance, but I think it's just because the Clippers and the Lakers didn't play. Granted, this is an L.A. sports channel, so when the L.A. teams don't play, it's not going to be the same buzz. No team played today, in fact. But um, I, I check out the videos I'm making right now, guys. I've not been working harder than this time of year. I've got stuff on Locked on Clippers. you got to subscribe there. I've also got stuff. like I'm doing a playoff preview for every single series except for the one versus eight matchups because I just don't have time for that. So every other series, there's going to be a preview with fans from those fan bases. The only ones that are not going to have fans from both sides are the L.A. series. So for the Lakers, my boy C.L. Owens is going to be joining me tomorrow, Coach Owens. He has a great lens, watches every Laker game, is just a student of the game, and has been watching the Lakers since the 80s. And then for the Clippers against the Suns, you know who you're getting, me, myself, and I, just the way you like it. So, because no one else knows the Clippers like me. Come on. I'm not going to put anyone else on here. So, Clippers and Lakers, it'll be the only series that will be just me or just people from the LA side because this is the LA channel. Other ones, we're going to get a mix. So, today, if you check out the channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, um, and yes, shout out to everybody in the live. Absolutely down to do shows with some of you uh, other content creators, Big Baby Sports, uh, my boy Angry Lakers fan, or now known as Laker World Order. But... The playing games, Toronto and Chicago, Clippers and OKC. Before we get started, you already know the drill. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod, and subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper. Hit the notification bell, please, you know, every single time I go live and post a video because, you know, this is your home for NBA content, NBA history content, and, of course, L.A. sports content. The L.A. Kings also sealing their matchup with the Edmonton Oilers tonight for the second consecutive year. So we got Connor McDavid again. Ugh, I'm not really feeling that great about it because I don't think we have – we don't have home ice. So it's going to be a tough series. So every L.A. team has a chance to win their first-round series, but all of them also have a chance to lose their first-round series. Wishing all of them the best, of course, especially the Clippers and the Kings since they're my teams. But let's get right into this one. Let's start with the Chicago Bulls and the Toronto Raptors. Going into this game, I had the Raptors winning just because they were at home. And I still think overall they're a more talented team. But we know both of these teams lack depth. They both lack depth. Obviously, the Toronto Raptors, for the majority of the season, operated without a center. They brought in Yaka Pertle, and he's really made a huge difference to that team. And in the first quarter, 
Pascal Siakam was being guarded by Alex Caruso. And mind you, for the Bulls, they started Alex Caruso and Pat Bev in the backcourt, and then Zach DeRozan and Vucevic. So that's pretty small. They've now taken Patrick Williams out of the starting lineup, replaced him with Patrick Beverly, and that puts DeMar DeRozan at the four spot. So that's pretty small. And then considering Vucevic isn't a very good rim protector or a good defender at all, Makes them a little bit thin, but you have two absolute pest defenders, former Lakers, uh, on the Bulls' backcourt with Caruso and Pat Bev. And Caruso, I mean, he is just such a phenomenal defender. I mean, we knew this covering Laker games for two years um, here on Dime Dropper. Actually, it was only one year that we covered Laker games on Dime Dropper with Caruso, 2021. But the guy is one of the best defenders in the league, should absolutely be an all-defensive team guy. He has such good hands. He's insanely strong, great laterally, knows angles. He was trying to do his best on Siakam, but you knew the Raptors' strategy. Put Nikola Vucevic in the pick-and-roll time after time, possession after possession. And usually, at least in the Bulls games I watch, you have Nikola Vucevic in drop coverage. But because... I think the Bulls made a playoff adjustment, and that was have him come out and hedge the screen, which I prefer more than drop with certain bigs that can't get off the ground. And Nikola Vucevic was coming out to the three-point line, hedging the screens, but that was causing the Raptors to get open threes. Now, that was absolutely by design by Chicago because the Raptors are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league this season. So even though OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, and they started out pretty hot, they were. I thought Vucevic did a decent job hedging and recovering because he wasn't letting Siakam or Fred VanVleet turn the corner. So that was pretty good. I thought that was the best game I've seen by Pascal Siakam in a game in which a playoff game in which he was the first option. I know he had some decent games last year against Philly in games four and five, but this was to me his most standout game. I think he controlled the game. He was amazing in in pick and roll he was constantly drawing two defenders and one-on-one he was hitting his bag when his mid-range is falling he is unguardable he had two turnarounds over the right shoulder he was being aggressive on smaller guys like Patrick Beverly who was just absolutely frying when he got switched on to him and then in transition Pascal has gotten so much better every year with his euro steps his elongated steps just his footwork going to the basket is really really good and DeRozan started out a little bit cold, but then towards the end of the quarter, he got a four-point possession by getting in, I think it was an and-one, a spin move on OG Ananobi, and-one, and then he got his own rebound on a free-throw miss and put it back up and in for a four-point possession, even though he started out one for three. Um, as far as the Toronto Raptors' defensive strategy, you saw Jakob Pertl dropping, and he wasn't that bad. You know, DeRozan's going to step into those mid-ranges, but with the length that Toronto has with OG Ananobi, who was guarding DeMar, and then Fred Van Vliet, who was guarding Zach Levine, which I was shocked that he was guarding Zach Levine. I thought Scotty Barnes or Siakam would be guarding Zach just because of the size. Fred Van Vliet, I know he's a, is a good defender, he's a pest, but Zach Levine can just rise up over the top, and we started seeing that later in the game, but... Overall, first quarter, first half, I thought Jakob Hurdle's drop coverage D was pretty good. I thought he was contesting shots fairly well, and the Raptors were up were five for eight from deep in the first quarter. So for a team that's not good at three-point shooting, they got off to a good start. And I thought DeMar DeRozan's defense was pretty awful throughout the game. He got blown by three times, I counted, in the first quarter alone. Four times in the first half, and he, whenever he was trying to play one-on-one defense, he couldn't do it without fouling. So bless his soul, DeMar DeRozan, one of my favorites, you know, a USC guy, Compton guy. He wasn't playing D. And Bulls fans, if I have any, you can tell me if he's been playing D all year because I've only watched like five or six Bulls games this year, not like last year where I was really in tune with them. But 
You saw what the obvious strategy was going to be for Billy Donovan in terms of lineups. They were going to stagger DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. And you saw guys come into the game for the Bulls bench. They made some really solid impacts, you know. Kobe White and Patrick Williams were the only Bulls players to get over 20 minutes off the bench. Io DeSumo only got six minutes to even get a shot off. Andre Drummond got four minutes, and I'll talk about him a little bit later because I actually think he had an interesting stint in the game. And then Derek Jones Jr. later. But those are second-half conversations. But in terms of the... They were going pretty thin. Both teams, as I said, they don't have much depth. So they're going to lean into the starters really heavily. And Toronto did the same thing. The only bench player for the Raptors that got over 10 minutes was Gary Trent Jr. And the Raptors bench, a nine-man rotation of Will Barton, who played only two minutes, Gary Trent, who played 17, Preston Achua, who played nine, and Chris Boucher, who played seven. They played a grand total... I'm sorry, they scored a grand total of eight points between the four of them. So just two points from the bench each, if you average it out. That is pathetic. But as far as both teams not being deep, I mean, the Bulls only got a... Oh, actually, the Bulls got more of a, a boost, for sure. So I think that was actually a difference in the game as well. Every starter for Toronto got 37-plus minutes. And in the first quarter, they led by 5, 28 to 23 after one. I think the reason why the Bulls stayed in the game, um, and by the way, as far as lineups, they staggered DeMar and Zach. One of them was always in the game at all times with DeMar going out first and then Zach going out right after him. And one thing you could see from the Raptors, they were trying to run the Bulls off the three-point line. They have so much size, so much length with those big wings that they can cover a lot of ground, and they were just trying to make the Bulls make secondary, tertiary plays uh, when they were getting one off the line and just go to option C and D. So give credit to the Raptors' defense in that first quarter. They led 28-23 to after one. Fred Van Vliet closed the first quarter really well with two threes and a circus layup, shades of the 2019 finals. But the only reason, you might be thinking, Raptors played so well, why were they only up by five? Well, I'd say Nikola Vucevic, he really got the Bulls off to a solid start with his jump hooks. You know, Vucevic is a very good offensive player still. Very good offensive player. You know, he can hit the pick-and-pop jumper. He can score in the post with a jump hook. He even has a decent left-handed jump hook. He's a very solid offensive player. It's defense where he struggles, but in this game so far in the first quarter, not too bad. The second quarter, I thought somebody that came out and did a really good job off the bench for the Bulls was Kobe White. I've heard that he's been playing better basketball of late, and he was making plays, playing aggressive defense, making good reads in the pick and roll, driving, turning the corner well on screens, and finding open shooters. And one of the guys that came in and made a fantastic impact, one of the best games I've ever seen him play, and it will not show up in the stat sheet, was Patrick Williams. Obviously, in his third season, was a lottery pick a couple years back, and a lot of Bulls fans, including my boy at Locked On Bulls, Pat the Designer, has said that he has not taken a leap. Well, he's probably right. I mean, I don't watch the Bulls every night, but in this game, you would think he has. Because his defense was phenomenal. He was actually able to deter Siakam a bit with his size, his strength. He was making hustle plays, getting blocked shots. And he threw down two dunks, one in the late in the first quarter and another one in the fourth quarter, I believe it was, or late third, that were just ferocious. You know, showing off the athleticism. So Patrick Williams, he definitely caught my eye. I thought he was playing really well. But somebody else who was still playing really well was Pascal Siakam. Just dominating, hitting step backs, turnarounds, abusing Patrick Beverly any chance he got him on him. And when Drummond came in for for Vucevic, he was getting targeted repeatedly in the pick and roll. And Chicago was going with the switch everything. They were letting Drummond switch on a Siakam. And overall, they, you know, Pascal was still driving by him and drawing two defenders 
turnovers and making plays. Drummond got one stop, but it was only a couple of minutes. Vooch came back in, and I thought he was doing really well in the first half. You know, probably should have gotten the ball more. And I think one thing with the Chicago Bulls at times is they kind of go away from Vooch when he's got it going. Because, and this is not, they're not the only team that does this. Zubats, Aiton, around the league. We just don't respect the post game anymore. We don't like role players that are post players or, or near all-star guys that are post players. They have to be Jokic and Embiid clearly to get the ball in the fucking post. Um, I think it's just stupid. I think especially in the playoffs, if you can get easier baskets, draw double teams, it's a good thing. And, and Nikola Vucevic, I think one-on-one was having a solid time, efficient against Pirtle, and they just didn't really go to him that much. And as I said, Bulls and Raptors playing the starters a lot, especially Toronto and Zach Levine, first half, four for eight, not enough shots. And my biggest issue with Zach Levine since he's gone to Chicago is he constantly defers to DeRozan, constantly. Like, when he, in 2021, you can go back and check out my labs when they played the Clippers and the Lakers, especially when they played the Clippers. He was a stud. That was when I was like, okay, Zach Levine is a bona fide star. He can be the best player on a playoff team. They bring in DeMar DeRozan. And Zach Levine starts to get injured, and DeMar starts making those game winners and has that resurgent season last year. And then Levine, you know, with the continuous injuries that he's had, and then going into this year, it just feels like he's at best a 1B, but just acts like a, a Robin. And I don't think that should be the case. I think at this stage of their careers, Zach Levine is better. He's more explosive. He's a better three-level shooter. I think that the thing about DeRozan is he acts like that dude. He acts like, I've been there, done that. I've led a team to the number one seed before. But this is Zach Levine's team. And I think, no pun, actually pun intended, he needs to grab the bull by the horns and take control like he did in that second half consistently. But Fred Van Vliet hit a half-court shot uh, before the half ended to put the Raptors up by 11. And going into the second half, you just felt they were in control. And they continued where they left off at the end of that second quarter in that third quarter. Jakob Pertl on the short roll was starting to make really good reads. And instead of OG Ananobi staying in the corner for the three ball, because he was starting to become cold, he started cutting to the basket on the baseline and dunking the ball. And the Raptors were starting to have their way. They went up by 19. But the Bulls then would bring the energy and put on a comeback for, I don't want to say the ages, but... A really great comeback and it started with Toronto missing free throws and ultimately that would be the difference in the game the reason the main reason to me why the Raptors choked this one away at home they did not make their free throws over and over again they were sent to the line and they did not capitalize while on the other side Zach Levine DeMar DeRozan they made an adjustment in the second half and that was that the screens especially with Levine were going to be set higher so then Jakob Pertl you know, had DeMar, or Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan coming at him full speed. You know, Zach Levine was turning that corner and just going right at his chest, and it was a really difficult task for Jakob to play defense without fouling. You know, and Zach was getting to the line, and unlike Toronto, he was making the free throw, so they started to chip back in and cut it down to about 12. Now, Siakam at this moment in the third quarter was playing great defense, you know, still really active in the passing lanes, just being a presence out there. There was one play where I think he was guarding Vucevic, stayed vertical, didn't foul. I thought the Raptors through three quarters or through at least two and a half quarters were doing a really good job of staying vertical. But Zach Levine, he started to get more aggressive and his jumper started to fall. He got himself going by getting to the line, which I always say when your jumper's not falling, and that wasn't even the case for Zach, but his three ball wasn't. He got to the line a little bit, started to warm up. DeMar DeRozan, similar thing. Attacking Jakob Pertl, getting to the line. Now, 
defense. Chicago made another adjustment in the second half. And that was that they started switching one to five with Vucevic. And the thing that really shocked me for like three or four possessions, especially when Siakam went out of the game at the end of that third quarter, Fred Van Vliet wasn't going at Vucevic on the switch. I couldn't believe it. Is that because he's been injured this year that he wasn't uh, confident on that? Because he's still in the first half, got to the basket fairly, not fairly easily, but he had a couple of nice finishes around the rim, at least one that I remember. He only tried to go at Vucevic one time. He had a step back and created tons of separation, but he airballed. But I still think he, he can make that shot. He created tons of separation. But I got to give credit to Vooch. He switched out there and he held his own. And Freddie V, they didn't take advantage in that moment. They still created some decent shots. But, you know, Gary Trent, he had a, in my opinion, a disaster class performance he could not make a shot he was one for seven in the game and over five from three in 17 minutes and granted he didn't play that much but in my opinion when he was in he got his shots up and on the other end they were trying to target him in the pick and roll and get him to guard DeRozan or Levine and they were absolutely getting favorable stuff when they did that so Gary Trent some of his flaws being exposed there when his shot wasn't falling it's not that he not even that he wasn't contributing positively he was kind of a liability and yeah, so again, Siakam, I was just like, as long as they don't completely collapse, by the time Siakam comes back in, they'll be okay. And by the way, Derek Jones Jr. came in for a little bit for Vooch instead of Drummond in that second half, just to see if they can switch everything one to five for a couple minutes, and they did okay. And uh, yeah, they were starting to chip away at it. Patrick Williams was playing great, strong blocks, good defense. And as I said, Levine, 17 points in the third quarter. He mainly started to get going when DeRozan came out of the game. And I don't think that's coincidence. But no excuses. I think Levine should take the bull by the horns, as I said. And even with DeRozan in the game, needs to be aggressive like that. But start the fourth quarter. The Toronto Raptors are still up by a score, by nine points. I mean, they still had it. I know they were up 19, so the Bulls had the momentum going into the second, uh, what's it called? Into the fourth quarter, I'm sorry. Um, but the Bulls came out and threw the first punch. Uh, Siakam back in to start the fourth quarter and scored immediately. But Vooch continued to switch one to five, was doing okay, and Levine continued to kill. He kept on getting the line, and there was one play where he pulled up in transition for three, and the second he released the ball, you knew he was going to hit because you can just see his body language. He felt it. You know when you're in the zone, and Zach Levine started to become, started to get in that zone. They cut it down to five, and a timeout was taken by the Raptors. And when they came out of the timeout, each starter, it felt like, had a turnover. Six turnovers for the Raptors just in the first five minutes of the fourth quarter, and that allowed the Bulls to get back in the game. And it's not just unforced errors. It was a lot of Alex Caruso and a guy who was really not doing anything, just running around out there in the first three quarters, turned up in the fourth quarter and that was Patrick Beverly he got his hand on a couple of balls a couple of deflections a couple of blocks it was one block from behind I remember and Alex Caruso the same was causing turnovers and the Chicago Bulls were taking advantage of that Caruso had five straight points one on a three finally hit a three he hadn't hit his first couple scored in transition and then Patrick Beverly made a corner three his first of the game to give the Bulls the lead and the Raptors continued to miss free throws it was just unbelievable from Van Vliet to Siakam to Scotty Barnes I mean and another guy you know Scotty Barnes 
I thought he was efficient in the game. 7 for 13. But I don't think he got the ball enough. And I think Barnes is one of those guys that also has good post game. In terms of lower body strength, I've seen him play live twice. You can check the vlogs. They're on the channel, on the playlist channel from last year. He has great lower body strength. He had a couple of right-handed jump hooks. I mean, and in his, this game, he shot two threes, made one of them. I thought that going away from Barnes wasn't good either. I thought it was a good idea to go to Siakam, 22 shots. That's fantastic because he earned those. But Freddie Van Vliet shooting 22 shots, I know he was 7 for 13 from three, so that was insane. But 1 for 9 from inside the arc is just weird. I thought Scotty Barnes should have gotten, for 40 minutes played and, and shooting the way he was, I think he should have gotten more than 13 shots. But I also think partially that's on him. You know, you got to ask the ball. That being said, he's a second-year player playing with two champions and guys that are, you know, Raptors legends in their own right with Pascal Siakam and um, Freddie V. Shout-out to my man Phoenix PlayZ saying, Stop roasting my team. DR DeRozan should be permanently banned from Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. That gives me a shout-out. So, obviously, DeMar DeRozan returning to Toronto for a playoff game. Got a good reception, as you'd expect. One of the best Raptors of all time. Loves that city. Never wanted to leave. But his daughter in the decked-out bedazzled Bulls varsity jacket screeching and the perfect time when dudes were shooting free throws in the Raptors that was hilarious and I mean I don't know if they affected him or not but 18 for 36 on the line she was getting strategic with it too there were even times where she wouldn't do it on the first and then she busted out on the second and I just it was just hilarious seeing them miss with that scream it almost felt like she was affecting them but Phoenix plays E says, Fred is a sped. No basketball IQ. Kyle would feast on that switch. Okay, let's stop. I mean, Kyle Lowry played well in that playing game, but let, let's let's just chill. Let's just chill. He says, I promise you Kyle at age 37 wouldn't mismanage a 19-point lead. Whatever, dude. I don't know. I'm not a Kyle Lowry guy. You know that. So, But the Bulls starting to inch closer to the victory. The Raptors continue to miss free throws. And the Raptors... Th- for a second, thought about small ball with Gary Trent, but he couldn't guard. He couldn't make shots. So they put Yaka Pertle back in. And I want to ask Raptors fans, do you think that you should have gone with Achua playing more minutes at the five so you could have switched more in that second half? Because Yaka Pertle, he was still getting attacked a lot in the you know with them running at his chest. And do you think the, the, the possessions that Barnes was guarding Levine, he was making life way tougher than Fred Van Vliet. Do you think Barnes should have guarded Levine? Or Siakam, I'm guessing you're not going to say that because... He's carrying so much weight offensively, but it's not like Fred Van Vliet was not doing anything offensively. He was handling the ball a ton. So, I don't know. Questionable decisions by Nick Nurse, who may have coached his last game as a Toronto Raptors coach. But late in the game, the Raptors are down three. Fred Van Vliet goes in and out on a three after he had just made one to tie the game. DeMar DeRozan was then fouled by OG Ananobi. I think he made one and missed one. And then a ghost foul in my opinion. A a foul that was not in the act of shooting at all. Clearly to me on the floor. Second straight night, the refs are trying to affect games at the end by calling three-point fouls on three-point shots on plays that are just not enough to be on the last possession to be called a foul. Yes, I care about where, what time of the game it is. I don't believe that those should all be fouls. That was clearly to me not in the act of shooting. And so, Siakam steps to the line, and misses not one, but two free throws. <sighs> Pascal Siakam played so well, but he got outshined in the fourth, I mean, the whole second half by Levine. And look, this is, this is what happens in basketball. When somebody plays better than you in one half, you play better than the other half, but their half is the second. 
they're probably going to be the ones that win. And I do think Siak- uh, Chicago gave Levine more help than Toronto gave Siakam, for sure. And I think Siakam is absolutely the least to blame for Toronto, but he is to blame t- as well. you got to close. He missed free throws. It's inexcusable. Inexcusable for sure. And when he missed those free throws, you know, they decided the game. The Chicago Bulls seal the deal. Win in Toronto. 109-105. to Outscore the Raptors. 37-24 to in the fourth quarter. For the Raptors, it comes down to a lack of depth for me. So much relying on the starters. Um, also, just free throws. You just, there's no excuse for that. Maybe some adjustments could have been made defensively in terms of bringing in Achua and switching him instead of having Jakob and drop coverage for so long. And then maybe putting Barnes on Fred Van Vliet. I also think Fred Van Vliet himself going one for nine from inside the arc didn't help. Um, but overall, you got to give credit to Chicago. They fought. They stayed in it. They were competing defensively. Kobe White and Patrick Williams gave them more than any Raptors bench player gave them. And Zach Levine ultimately was the best player on the court because he closed. And he made his free throws, unlike Pascal. And I love it when Zach Levine's that aggressive. I think he's that great. I really do think he's that great. should be an all-star every single year. It's all in his head to me. And obviously, if he can stay healthy, that helps with the mental game. Let's talk about the lines, though, for the Raptors. As I said with the bench players, the only one that's really worth mentioning is Trent. He was one for seven. Two points. Achua, six points and four boards in just nine minutes. So should he have played more? Let me know in the comments. As for the starters, Jakob Pertl played 37 minutes, 7 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, but he also had 5 turnovers. So Jakob, I don't think he had a very good game in the second half, and it ended up being kind of costly. Uh, I think he was good in the first half, though, but 5 turnovers from your center is just not it. 3 for 4 from the field for him, um, just 1 for 2 from the line. And as for the other 4, OG Ananobi, I thought he actually had a really solid game. His shooting splits won't tell you that. Um, and his free throws were just... Actually, you know what? Because of his free throws, I can't say that. He had some really good defensive plays. But I also have to say, DeMar DeRozan um, made some big shots at the end. Like, he showed, you know, hanging in the air, banking shots in off the glass, um, drawing fouls. OG Adenobi still had a nice block on him. But uh, I think DeRozan still showed that one-on-one... Even the best defenders in the league often can't stop him. But I think OG, he still slowed him down to the point where Levine ended up being their their guy. But Phoenix Plays, he says, I'm happy we lost, though. Lottery pick secured, and we can kickstart the rebuild. I would say a retool, man. I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i going to talk about the Raptors in a second. But Brent says, if it's a foul, the refs got to call it. Doesn't matter if it's the first minute of the first quarter or the last minute of the fourth. Disagree, because that's just not how the history of basketball has played out. It's just not. So that's my opinion on that. Um, as for OG overall, 13 points, four rebounds, three assists, a steal and a block. He shot four for 13 from the field, two for seven from three and three for eight from the line. So not a good night shooting the ball for OG. Should he be an all defensive team guy? I think he should, whether first or second, I don't know. I always said defensive team is so hard because I don't you have to watch a lot of games from guys to me to make an accurate opinion. There's no stat or metric um, that accurately represents that in my eyes. So yeah, if I had to choose, I would say OG Ananobi does deserve to be on the defensive team. But I don't think he played well enough in the game just because of his free throws. And then Scotty Barnes, 19-10. and 10. That's 10 rebounds. Two steals, two assists, and a block. Seven for 13 from the field. One for two from three in 40 minutes of play. So insanely efficient. But four for seven from the line. 
Then Fred Van Vliet, 26 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. Did it all. 8 for 22 from the field, though. 7 for 13 from 3 is amazing. But 3 for 6 from the line. There's no way you're the starting point guard for this team and you're shooting 50% from the foul line. That's inexcusable. He played 42 minutes, and then which was tied for most on the team. And then Spicy P, 32 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, and a steal. 3 turnovers for him. Was the best player for the Raptors, obviously. He's been the best player for them all season. Uh, his best year of his career ends in the plan. 13 for 22 from the field for Pascal. 1 for 3 from deep. I like they didn't shoot too many threes. But 5 for 11 from the line. The Raptors ultimately shooting 18 for 36 from the foul line. 50%. Absolutely costly. Even though they had 8 more offensive rebounds... Then the Bulls and 14 more rebounds overall. That was a huge, huge reason that they lost, in my opinion, the biggest reason. But all of the individuals can take some accountability for that as well. And let's read the Bulls stat lines, though. For Chicago, Kobe White, 9 points and 5 assists off the bench in 25 minutes. He was 4 for 4 from the field, made his only 3. So that's as good as it gets for Kobe White. Patrick Williams. 10 points, 2 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks on 4 for 12 shooting and 2 for 5 from 3. So 40% from 3, only 33% from the field. But that tells you absolutely nothing about the way he played. He was fantastic. The 2 steals and 2 blocks prove my point. As for the starters, Patrick Beverly was just 1 of 5. But his 1-3 was massive. He gave the Bulls the lead. 3 points, 3 boards, a steal, and a block. He had a good 4th quarter. Other 3, not so much. Alex Caruso, 31 minutes, unbelievable defense in this game as always. Nine points was clutch. Three rebounds, two assists, three steals, and three blocks. His timing is just unreal. Like, really just unreal. An awesome performance overall by AC. Four for eight from the field for him. Only one for four from deep. Um, and I think, you know, I actually have to make a, a, a shout-out to Billy Donovan. There was a period where Caruso and Bev were just not giving them stuff offensively. He put in Kobe White and Patrick Williams, and they really flipped the game. So, got to give credit to Billy Donovan. He made a lot of great adjustments, and the Chicago Bulls came out victorious. As for the big three, Nikola Vucevic, 14 points and 13 boards. A nice double-double for him. Also, four assists, one steal, and one block on 6-for-14 shooting and 0-for-4 from three. As I said, he wasn't shooting the three-ball well, but 6-for-10 from two. I thought inside the arc, he looked like he was getting a good shot every time he got the ball. So I think the Bulls in that Miami game, even though Bam is a good defender, if they can get a couple of switches, get Vucevic the ball in the mid post, around the block area, give him the ball, let him work. And as for the duo, DeMar DeRozan in his return to Toronto, 23 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and two blocks on 10 for 19 shooting, only shot one three, that came in the first quarter, extremely efficient, three for five from the line, which is a little uncharacteristic of him, but 23 points, efficiently in 39 minutes will get the job done and that's what I expect DeRozan to be I think he's kind of like that you know um he should be a Robin to me guy that helps close games but it's Zach Levine's show that's what I think it should be and speaking of the Zach Levine show that's what it was in the second half he had 39 points after only being I think four for nine in the first half eight for 13 in the second only 2 for 7 from 3, but 13 of 15 from the line. He got to the line more than anyone in the game for either team. And as you can see, 13 for 15 from the line. The Bulls shot 
18 for 22 from the line. That's 82% as opposed to the Raptors, 50. Even though the Raptors got 14 more free throw attempts, the Bulls won the game by shooting 7 for 26 from 3. So the Raptors, I mean, they just choked massively. Zach Levine was the man. Absolutely loved the way he attacked. As I said, the adjustments by Billy Donovan, Kobe White and Patrick Williams coming in for the defensive backcourt, giving them a little more offensive flavor. Zach Levine and DeRozan getting the screens higher so they can attack Jakob Pertl's chest. Great adjustments overall. Vucevic switching one through five. I mean, also a big adjustment. And then having Derek Jones Jr. in there for a couple of minutes for some relief. Just big time. And then as for as for Toronto, missing free throws. Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes not getting the ball enough. And Fred Van Vliet just not shooting well inside the arc. Toronto, as for where they go from here, there's been so much talk about them this season, whether guys are going to get traded or not. I don't think Pascal Siakam is the number one on a championship team, but he's absolutely the number two on a championship team. He's shown that before, and he's even gotten better. I would not part ways with that guy. If your goal is to win a championship in the near future again, keep Siakam. He's also like, what, 27 years old? Like, he's in his prime. I would not trade Pascal Siakam in his prime. Just willingly. I would retool. He's 29. So he's got a couple years left of his prime. I would not retool around him. Keep Siakam. Keep Barnes. And keep OG. Everyone else should be on the block. And Pirtle. Everyone else should be on the block, including Fred Van Vliet. Because I think at times he can hijack. And if he's really not happy, we'll see. But I think you absolutely got to keep Siakam. Just tear it down and build around Barnes. I just don't like that idea. Um, but anyway, that's what I think about the Raptors going forward. It was a failure of a season for them, I'd say. Um, I think that they went so long without a center, but they, they did play a lot better basketball with the center. And I still think in a seven-game series, I don't know if the Bulls would beat Toronto. That'd be a great series. I don't know. But ultimately, the Raptors, they didn't do enough in the offseason to improve this team. I said that. They're relying on just mainly individual development. Fred Van Vliet regressed a bit. Siakam improved a bit. Scotty Barnes, I think he underwhelmed to some degree, but I think his playmaking made a leap. And I think that he still will be great, but he may have not made the leap that people wanted him to make. But that's it for them. Brent says, how has Barnes looked? I haven't watched the Raptors this season. I'm going to let my boy Phoenix play Z in the comments, comment on that. But he also says, we have two options. The first one is making major changes around Pascal and Scotty and attempt to retool. The other option is blowing it up. There's no run it back plan with the same team. I agree with that, and I say option A, retool around Pascal and Scotty. You need better bench players. That's just not going to do it. Not going to do it. They, they, they're way too reliant on their starters. The second somebody gets hurt or can't play, it's just such a massive drop-off for me with Toronto. And I think it's the same with Chicago, too. And that's why they're 10-9 they're and nine seeds. So Chicago and Miami will be fun on Friday. I think Toronto would have been a horrendous matchup for Miami because they're so big. I think they would have taken advantage uh, of them on the glass just the way the Atlanta Hawks did. But I think the Bulls, it'll be a more even matchup. I think Miami will win. Because they're at home, and I don't think Jimmy Butler plays a second bad game in a row. But let's go to the other game. It was thoroughly entertaining. Probably the best playing game of the four thus far. The Oklahoma City Thunder and the New Orleans Pelicans. I had the Pelicans winning this game. I'm a big Pelicans guy. They're the only other team in the West that I don't dislike. But now I have to say I don't dislike the Thunder anymore. They're growing on me too. Even though, you know, they've got our picks and stuff. But how can, you, how can I dislike a team with SGA on it? And that's just my guy. It's a guy. He was a clipper. He was the best draft pick we've had since Blake. Helped. He was on that 2019 team, and he was a big part of it. So that 2019 team is probably in my top five favorite clipper teams in my life. But um, Thunder and Pelicans. I had the Pels. 
you know, they were obviously on a really good stretch to end the season. Brandon Ingram led that. But then they kind of slipped at the end, last two or three games. The loss to Minnesota, where CJ shot so poorly, put them in the in the ninth spot. So now they're in a winner-go-home, one-game single elimination situation, as opposed to having two chances like the Wolves. And they still should have won the game against the Thunder. But what a game it was. And without, I didn't know Larry Nance was also injured. We obviously know about Zion. We know about Jose Alvarado being out, which is also massive in my opinion, because Kira Lewis is nowhere near Alvarado. And Nance is massive for that team because he's the one that can switch one through five. He's the one that gives them that versatility defensively when Valanchunas is getting played off the floor or needs to rest. And not having him, that to play Jackson Hayes, who I don't think he's improved at all since his rookie year. As for the starters, you already know the deal for both teams. For the Thunder, SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, and both Jalen Williams. And then for the Thun- uh, for the Pels, Jonas Valanciunas, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum at the point. Jonas Valanciunas, by the way, that Pelicans crowd was amazing. Much better than Toronto's crowd, who was good, but I think that the Raptors tickets are just getting too expensive. I think they're keeping a lot of these diehard fans out because it's not as loud as it used to be. But it was also a play-in game, not a playoff game, so maybe I'm being overly critical. But I think I, I saw Raptors fans talking about that on the timeline last year, and I don't think the games against Philly last year were as loud as 2019 and prior. But OKC, New Orleans to start the game. Jonas Valanciunas was everywhere. Obviously, Arkansas Jalen Williams is much smaller than Jonas Valanciunas, and he was abusing him on the offensive glass early, hitting jump hooks, getting the ball in the post. Also, Brandon Ingram, he was being guarded by Lou Dort, and what I absolutely loved what I was watching in this game, both teams were competing. No, this is what I love talking about. This is what I love when no load management, everybody's playing with their like hearts out, crowds intense, no easy switches. This is basketball. This is competitive playoff basketball. I could talk about these games and watch these games every day. That's what I love to watch. Both teams had a strategy. Lou Dort is going to guard Brandon Ingram, and he's not going to switch off of him. Herb Jones is going to guard Shagos Alexander, and he's not going to switch off of him. I love the way Dort and Herb Jones were competing. Ingram had a couple of misses early because of that, but overall, I loved how aggressive he was. He tried to get to the basket a lot, and you knew that the Thunder were going to sag off of Herb Jones. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who, by the way, I found out is leading the league in blocks for guards. So SGA, one thing I've noticed from him this season, super active hands on defense, whether it be blocks or steals. So SGA, really improving defensively, and he was guarding Herb Jones as a roamer, and some of the passes that Brandon Ingram was making... Oh my God, he was not making these kind of passes two years ago, even last year. Rifling cross-court passes with his backhand across the court like he was LeBron, right on the money. I was so impressed. And Herb Jones made the first, if I'm not mistaken, but he started to cool down a little bit. That being said, he was doing a great job on SGA early, and the Pelicans led by nine early. But the clear strategy for the Pelicans was... We are going to make somebody besides Shea beat us. We are going to hedge the screens. We're not going to drop with Valanciunas because that's suicidal against SGA with his in-between game. We're going to hedge the screens and make you get rid of the ball. And I thought JV in the first half did a really good job of not letting SGA turn the corner. And SGA was being unselfish. He was passing the ball, making the right play. 
And the guy that got off to a great start and rode it all the way to the end, he had his season high when his team needed it most, Lou Dort. My goodness, knocking down the open three that the defense was giving him, and also he is just built like a fucking linebacker, getting to the basket, getting to the line, finishing through contact, and trying to make Brandon Ingram guard a bit. He and Josh Giddy scored the first 19 Thunder points. I think Lou Dort had 14 points in the first quarter, which was his, it was, yeah, his career high in a quarter. And Josh Giddy, I mean, I've never seen a player with less athleticism and speed get two feet in the paint so comfortably. It's amazing. It's his change of pace, his herky-jerkiness. He's got finishes with both hands. He's got these unorthodox runners and floaters that I think catches defenders off guard. I really like Giddy's game. I also think he's very high IQ, and he's a good rebounder. And a very good rebounder, in fact. Kira Lewis came into the game for the Pels and missed two shots really badly. And I think that was the last we saw him, and we didn't see him in the second half. He only played five minutes, and the Pels only went nine deep. Obviously, they were very thin. Najee Marshall played nine minutes as well. The only, or should I say, nine minutes. And the only two players that played double-digit minutes off the bench for the Pels were Jackson Hayes with 18 and Josh Richardson with 17. And the Thunder went thin too. Only nine-man rotation for them. Waters played five minutes, and then the other three guys did get double-digit minutes. Sarich with 11, Aaron Wiggins with 14, and Isaiah Joe with 19. But Thunder were down by nine, but slowly chipping away at it. I thought SGA had good hands on defense, and the other guys, Giddy and Dort, were making plays off SGA getting thrown two guys at him. But Herb Jones doing a really good job. He forced SGA to, I believe, three for like nine shooting at halftime doing a really good job, just making life tough, putting his hands up. And Herb Jones was clearly trying to get in SGA's head. He was picking him up 94 feet. He even caused a turnover on an inbounds because of it, nearly you know, pushing him out of bounds, picked up a couple of fouls. I just loved how hard he was playing. But there was one point where I thought he was starting to be in danger of picking up fouls because he was trying to get really physical and in his head. And this is where you really see or saw the maturation of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You know, he was trying to get in his head. He was trying to just smother him, breathe on him, cover him like wet on rice, whatever you want to say. And Shea was just laughing, keeping his cool. That's a guy that's ready to be a superstar. He didn't let anything phase him, didn't let him get rattled. If anything, it seemed like Herb Jones was getting a little bit rattled and getting ready to pick up more fouls. And the Thunder closed the first quarter with a 22-10 run, and they took the lead 32-29 to after one. But the Pelicans responded well in the second. Trey Murphy heating up. And if you guys remember in the clip, my I think it was was it my latest vlog? No, my second to last vlog. If you go check it out, Clippers and Pelicans. Trey Murphy turned into Ray Allen that night. But he's just a really good shooter. And I think he's a really good player. He's improving every year. It's his second year. Really good three-point shooter now. He's a really athletic player, stupid bounce, and good length on defense. But the one thing I thought he wasn't doing, and this also applies to CJ McCollum, they were not rebounding at all. Oklahoma City Thunder players were getting multiple offensive rebounds as the game went on mainly, mostly in the second half. They had 13 offensive rebounds. The Pelicans got 14, but six of those were Jonas Valanciunas. The ones that the Thunder were getting were more in the second half, and they felt more costly. A lot of long misses. Because the thing about the Thunder is, with that with uh, Jalen Williams, Arkansas Jalen Williams out there, they want to go five out and spread you out. 
And Jalen Williams missed like his first five threes of the game. He was broke in the beginning. And honestly, in the first half, it was just getting abused. It was a tale of two halves for Jalen, uh, Arkansas Jalen Williams. And at the same time, J-Dub wasn't really doing anything in the first half either. His defense is good, but he wasn't making his open shots. And with Murphy heating up, he, you know, got to the line trying to dunk. He was cutting. And I thought that the Pelicans, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, these guys were doing a really good job moving without the ball and cutting off of Valanchunas and Ingram. Valanchunas got the ball in the post against Sarge a couple of times. And he was throwing, like, Sabonis-type passes, like, over his head, finding cutters. There were two possessions in a row where he found cutters. One was Richardson. I think another one was Murphy. And with Murphy heating up, he got the crowd really involved. And New Orleans took a 42-40 to lead. And he made a big three to tie the game after OKC went up by five. And the Pels closed the half strong. Trey Murphy had 15 points at halftime, hit two threes. And I thought it was interesting was Dagnalt was matching up. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Dort with Ingram. And Willie Green was matching up uh, Herb Jones with SGA. I love that. That's good old-fashioned Playoff basketball, matching your best defender with that player. You only want him to guard the best player. We're not switching. And what was interesting to me was the the Thunder were putting the small guys in the action. The Pelicans, not as much. A little bit of SGA, but SGA is not really a guy you can kind of target as much. He's showing that he can hold his own one-on-one. And I just thought B.I., though, overall, his passing in the first half was amazing. Um, a 20-point first half by Lou Dort. Keeping the Thunder alive. Giddy as well, so solid. Because SGA only was 3 for 11 at halftime. But I don't think he was playing badly. I think he was just missing because of the strategy. However, he was making the right plays and getting other guys open shots. A lot of hockey assists, all that. And they were trying to put B.I. in the action more later in the quarter to make him work. I thought that was a good strategy. Clearly... By the way, the seven points that SGA had in the first half were was the fewest he had in any half this season. So credit the Pels, Herb Jones, all that, the game plan. And OKC, you know, on their defensive side, they were trying to force the cross-court pass, as I said. Leave Herb Jones open, come double from the other from the weak side, sink into the middle. I'm sorry, sink into the big man in the dunker, force the cross-court pass. And uh, I thought Herb Jones... Also, not just his defense, but he was following up plays, cutting, you know, finding a way to attack the basket off the catch and stuff like that. The Pels led by six at half. I felt pretty good about them going into the second half. And then everything started to change with SGA. And listen to this adjustment. Again, I love this. This is the chess matches that the NBA playoffs are. Mark Dagnall, what he did was he brought, he had J-Dub bring the ball up. And then he had SGA set back screens at the foul line just so his man wouldn't leave the guy he was setting a screen for wide open. He would stunt at him. That way, SGA could free himself up a little bit to get the ball around 18 feet away. So now he was catching the ball inside the arc, and at times he was going to going to work on isolation or getting the screen there. And I thought Valanchunas now started to struggle in that second half. SGA turned the corner on him a couple of times, and there were seven points allowed by Valanchunas. Five on letting SGA turn the corner, and then one on a bad closeout when the defense was in rotation. But SGA started at the elbow, started 18 away, 18 feet away, popping out off the back screen, and then getting into his actions. And it became a duel between Brandon Ingram and SGA, and I thought it was amazing. I loved it. Two of my favorite players in the NBA. I am, listen, the whole Zion thing, I heard what he said about, you know, 
I feel physically fine, but mentally I'm not ready to play. And I, a lot of people are going to go at him for that. But I live by a quote that's, if you're hurt, don't play. And if you play, no excuses. I respect CJ McCollum for playing with a thumb that he needs surgery on and all that. But he didn't offer much in the first half at all. I think he was more being passive. But overall, I'm going to get to it in a second. CJ did not play well. He was a, maybe the biggest reason they lost this game. And look, I'm, I know it, it sounds like it's awful. You know, it's uncharacteristic. But the thing is, has CJ McCollum only been off shooting the ball when, when he's had a thumb injury in his career? No. He's had good games with the thumb too. He didn't make shots, man. He didn't make shots. And he said himself, he's not trying to make excuses. He can't make excuses. As far as Zion is concerned, his game is much more built on athleticism and strength. So CJ McCollum was a finesse player, mid-range, three-point shooter, doesn't really get to the rim like that. It's different than Zion. Zion literally throws his body into dudes at the rim. If he's not mentally feeling like himself, I can't, I, I don't agree with his, I agree with him not playing. But it's becoming a problem because now a season's ended because of this again. So two seasons in a row, you have not played in the playoffs with your team. Brandon Ingram is the man of this team. I don't care how much hype Zion gets. Brandon Ingram is the best player on this team. He's the best player on both ends. His game translates the best to the playoffs. He's the man here. The problem is they can't keep these two healthy. Ingram needs to stay healthy because he's so good. I mean, that third quarter was insane. The mid-ranges. I mean, Ingram, he started just, he, they were, you know, as I said, they were hedging and recovering on that side. And, you know, they were trying to put SJ in the action and stuff, but they didn't want to switch Dort off of him. And there were a couple times in that third quarter where after the guy hedged and left, he would get the ball and try to um, get to his mid-range, and he was, and he was hitting. And on the other side, I thought one thing that was interesting was that in the first half, I didn't see JV recover to his man till SGA picked up the ball. In the second half, he was hedging until Herb Jones could get back in front, and then he was retreating to try to prevent the four-on-three. But then that allowed SGA to play a little bit more one-on-one isolation. So, again, chess matches, adjustments, loved what I saw. SGA and Ingram going back and forth against their defense. And I also thought one thing we saw Mark Dagnalt uh, do and SGA do in that second half was put CJ in the action. And they got a lot of good stuff. A couple times where McCullum switched on to SGA and SGA got right to the cup. Some amazing finishes. There was one where he spun over his right shoulder and then came back to his left hand and flipped it up off the glass over Valanchunas. I mean, his array of finishing... And what he does when he gets two feet in the paint is amazing. It's amazing the way he's improved. But that's one thing he was always good at. With the Clippers, you could see it. He was really good with his footwork around the rim, utilizing pump fakes, staying patient. He's just so patient. It's amazing. His deceleration is so good. Everything. His footwork. Um, shout out to my man, Olin Simplest. You know, my former trainer. Um, he's been training with SJ for years, and he's done a hell of a job. So, B.A., mid-range money, was getting Lou Dort in foul trouble. Lou Dort picked up the fourth foul. And one thing I also liked was that Josh Richardson came in and gave Herb Jones a little bit of relief. You know, Josh Richardson has had a good defensive reputation. He was known as a defense first player in Miami. And he was doing a decent job on Shea. Decent. You know, was able to be another guy besides Herb Jones, throw, throw at him and do a solid job. And, you know, speaking of solid jobs, Josh Giddy. As the game went on, just continued to get two feet in the paint, continued to find guys, continued to rebound. And with the long misses, he was starting to see more offensive rebounds for the Thunder. And look, I can see why the Thunder are good now. They compete, man. They play defense. Both teams, even though this was a 
you know, relatively high scoring game, like 123 to 118. Both teams were really playing defense. I think it was just some really good offense being played. It was high intensity, but I thought that both teams were competing hard and I really enjoyed all of it. Really did. Josh Giddy was awesome. And I thought when I talked about the tale of two halves for Jalen Arkansas Williams, he played some really good defense in that second half. Ball denials, physical. You know, even though he was his guy had to screen a lot, I thought he was doing a decent job of getting physical and making those screens harder to be set. Also, he finally hit a three in the second half, a big one, I believe, in the fourth quarter. And he even busted out a sky hook on the run, which is hilarious. By the way, I, one of the, I, I tweeted about this today, but one of the worst and most lazy narratives in, the history, in basketball is that sky hooks don't work or that Kareem would get his shot blocked today. When you see guys bust out, and it's very rare, very, very rare in my life, to see guys bust out hook shots in games, they never get blocked, ever, because it's very hard to guard this kind of shot. These dudes, when they do it in today's game, they do it on the run. Kareem was not just doing it on the move. He was hitting standstill hook shots on the baseline. That's ridiculous. These fools today would shoot it on the side of the backboard if they did that. It was in, It's just insane to me. <laughs> just grab the ball and he shoots it like it's a turnaround. Um, just a once-in-a-generation once player, but once-in-a-lifetime kind of player. But Jalen Williams showing a little bit of that hook shot. I like that. But Ingram, good defense in the third, just like Siakam in his game. But SGA, 17 points in the third quarter. Josh Giddy, I'm pretty sure, had double digits in the third quarter as well. And the Pels went through a scoring drought where JV wasn't as involved. And the same way with Vucevic, same story league-wide. Guys not feeding the post when they have guys that are getting success in the post, having success. I thought one of the bigger reasons that the Pels dropped off in the second half was because they stopped giving Vuce the, uh, uh, Valanciunas the ball. 16 and 18 he had in this game. 16 points and 18 rebounds. Six offensive rebounds. Jalen Williams could not guard him. He was 7 for 9. How you have a guy go 7 for 9 and you're only giving him 9 shots? He should have been the second option on this game, not CJ. And I get it. CJ is, you know, playoff tested and all this. But you've got to feed the hot hand. That's partially on Willie Green, but that's also partially on the team. Not really on JV to me because he posts up and he does ask for the ball. But I thought that that was proven costly and it was part of their drought. CJ McCollum continued to miss in that third quarter. And as I said, OKC was getting a lot of long offensive rebounds and with Dort out with four fouls, and, you know, it did some out of the game, J-Dub was starting to guard Ingram, and he was, you know, listen, I can tell that J-Dub is a good defender, but Ingram's just so good. I mean, he was getting to the basket, making tough shots, turnarounds, post-game, I mean, turning face in the mid-range area. I just love watching him play. He has, like, those 6'8 guys that can shoot over the top of you in the mid-range, like, you can't guard that. There was one Kobe shot, left corner, or sorry, right corner, turn over the left shoulder. It was just absolutely butter. And then the so the third quarter, Thunder outscored the Pels thirty nine to twenty four. This quarter totally turned the game around. They went into the quarter with a I want to say a seven point lead, no a nine point lead. So the Pelicans were in trouble, but they started the fourth quarter the right way, and CJ McCollum finally started to get going a little bit. They went on a seven zero run to begin the quarter with SGA and Ingram out of the game. And JV and CJ were doing it. They forced a timeout. CJ finally made a three. Starting to hit a couple of shots. Josh Richardson was making a good impact. Made a three. Got a steal and dunked it down. And when Josh Richardson had that dunk, it gave 
the Pelicans the lead again. And as I said, Jalen Williams responded with some stuff. A three, you know, the teams were trading baskets for a little bit. Ingram eventually ended up giving the Pelicans the lead and forced a timeout for the Thunder with around four minutes left in the game. With around four minutes left in the game, and by the way, I want to say not just Troy, uh, Trey Murphy was allowing offensive rebounds against Giddy, but C.J. McCollum as well. Both of them just not doing a good enough job boxing out. There was one time in, late in the game where Trey Murphy wasn't even boxing out. He was literally just turning around and grabbing, and it was so obvious for the ref to call. So big thing, I always say it, one of my, Pat Riley, no rebounds, no rings. Yeah, the rebounding battle, let's see what it ended up being. 48 for the Pels, 38 for the Thunder. That's funny. They actually had 10 more rebounds than them. But still, you know, they still got second chance points. That's why you got to watch the games because some of those stats lie at times. And, um, yeah, going down to the wire, what a finish we had. It was anyone's game. And I want to give the Thunder so much credit because it was such a hostile environment, such a hostile environment. And SGA was the brighter star in the end. Am I going to sit here and say he's better than Brandon Ingram? No, not quite. Because he's had a better year this year, but I'm not going to just use this year and say he's better uh, after these last two years that Ingram has had. Um, Ingram in the playoffs last year in a seven-game series is really good. We've still never seen SGA in a seven-game series with that kind of weight. But I think it's arguable, absolutely. And I think SGA ended up outplaying him in this game. Um, but I don't even know about that. Like, he did. But mainly, I think he got more help than 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 Brandon Ingram. You know, the, Pel- the Thunder were fully healthy. The Pelicans don't have Zion, Larry Nance, and Alvarado. And CJ McCollum didn't show up. He choked at the end. Just like last year, he didn't shoot well. In the 2021 series, he was putrid against Denver. And I li- I'm a big CJ McCollum fan. I think he's one of the best players to never make an all-star team. And he played with pain this year. He had to play without Ingram and Zion. Like, he carried so much weight. He was expected to come into New Orleans and be a third guy. Not have as much of a role as he's had in his, you know, twilight years of his prime. But SGA and Brandon Ingram, they started putting SGA in the action. SGA stole the ball from Ingram. I think he got away with a foul. But as I said, late in the game, one-on-one, stars going at it, not going to call it, got the steal, and then scored his first points in the fourth on a layup and transition to tie the game on that possession. But B.I. would respond. He got to the mid-range over Dort, about two straight buckets, if I'm not mistaken. And again, trading baskets, and then on a crucial possession. Emphasis on crucial possession. I'm going to go to the play-by-play because I'm kind of, I want to remember the sequence of it. But there was a really big possession late in the game. I want to say it was like with a couple. So yeah, Brandon Ingram did hit two straight jumpers, made it one twelve to one ten, and then made it one fourteen to one twelve. The score was there was a possession where he didn't get the ball, Brandon Ingram. I think it was the one where CJ missed the floater. I think that was it. Ingram didn't get the ball. McCollum didn't touch it, and that's on him. He needs to go get the ball. It's not on anybody else. It, Willie, I did not see Willie calling a play. He needs to go get the ball. He didn't. And this is after he just hit a couple of shots, but also had gotten a turnover. CJ shoots the floater and misses. And then SGA comes in transition, gets the bump from Herb Jones, and then shoots a one-legged high-arcing floater off his right foot. I don't know how he made that. He is just unreal. Like, this, this guy has gone on another level. That was insane. The arc on that shot, nothing but nylon. Silencing the crowd against one of the best defenders in the league. Went up by one, and then Ingram got the ball. They cleared out the right side for him. Typical MJ, Kobe type of isolation situation. Missed the turnaround. Great defense by Dort, who battled. 
Josh Giddy would then make two free throws. Ingram missed a free throw. And by the way, I want to emphasize this. A huge call was made in the third quarter. A technical foul was given to Brandon Ingram when he was bumped, Euro-stepped, and then hit Lou Dort in the face with his elbow. It was a bad shot to the face, for sure. But it was totally not intentional. It was totally just a basketball motion. He got bumped, and they called a technical. How the fuck do you call a technical when the play is not dead? It was not unsportsmanlike. It was not excessive or anything. He got bumped. He tried to shift his body to his left to evade to the defender to get the shot up for the end one, and he hit Dort in the mouth. You gave him a technical foul for that, and I knew that one point would come back to bite him in the ass, and it did. It totally did in a close game like that. So shame on the fucking refs who seemingly have had a hand in affecting every game. That was not a non-basketball play to me. And I've never seen a technical foul called when a foul is being called on the player that was being fouled. Because if anything, if it's a foul, an excessive motion, an elbow, that's a flagrant, not a tech. A tech is usually because he did it intentionally or did something unsportsmanlike after the whistle. Not when the... When he's getting hit, he's trying to get an and one off, and he hits somebody in the face. That was, oh my god, that gets me so mad. Like, I mean, I just hate that kind of shit, because it affected the game. But Ingram did miss a free throw, just like Siakam. He did. And then the, you know, SGA, I'm pretty sure, made both. Made it a four-point game. And then Ingram made a three after that. And it looked like he got a little touch on the elbow by Lou Dort. If you watch the game, do you think it should have been a foul? That would have been crazy if it was a four-point play. Ingram, I mean, he was still amazing. Same as Siakam. He got outshined, though, by the other star in the fourth quarter. But I think in, in in Ingram's case, he was better than Siakam because Siakam missed six free throws. Ingram, it, CJ just shot the bed, man. And they were they were shorthanded, too. I mean, the, the, the and plus, Lou Dort had his season high. And Giddy played insane in his first postseason game. So, you know, SGA then made the free throws. And Herb Jones, they were down by three. With no timeout stuff, and he turned it over. He threw a bad pass. It was such a bad pass. And the Thunder upset the Pelicans 123 to 118 and keep their season alive without Chet Holmgren. In a season that was supposed to be a 23 win season or something, they actually did it. They actually did it. They made the uh, second play in game. They made the play in the first place over Dallas, which was insane. And now SGA showed us. He had his best postseason of his game of his career, obviously by far. Uh, let's read the lines. One twenty-three to one eighteen is the final. The Pelicans outscore the Thunder thirty-one twenty-seven in the fourth. For the Pelicans, Najee Marshall nine minutes, two points. Jackson Hayes six points and nine rebounds in eighteen minutes. He was two for two, but I don't think he really offered much. Josh Richard, Kira Lewis donut in five minutes. Josh Richardson nine points and four dimes. Uh, to go along with a steal, and a, a steal and a block. Four for six on the field in 17 minutes. Got a little testy with Josh Giddy there when he hit him in the groin. And got a flagrant for that. I think Giddy made one and missed one, if I'm not mistaken. But um, Richardson, that was also unnecessary. and helped, you know, kind of cost them a little bit. But I thought he played really well. And then the starters, Herb Jones, he was starting to miss as the game went on. That's the one thing with Herb. He's got to really put in work with his three ball this summer because... Once he gets that three ball down, oh my God, he's going to be insane. He's going to get paid upwards of $20 million, and deservedly so when he does. 20 points, five rebounds, five assists, a steal and a block, a really good stat line for him. Seven for 16 from the field, but one for five from three. So six 
for 11 from inside the arc. He was also 5 for 6 from the line, which he'll take all day. And the Pelicans overall shot well from the line. Both teams did. 25 to 30 for the Pels, 28 for 32 for the Thunder, and each team took care of the ball pretty well too. Pels only 11 turnovers, Thunder with 7 turnovers. So really solid job for both teams prioritizing the ball. But Herb Jones, I thought he had a really solid season, a really good one. I think he should be all defense, at least the second team. And uh, I think, you know, the sky's the limit for him. But the other four starters, Trey Murphy slowed down as the game went on. I'm pretty sure he only had six points in the second half. 21 points, four boards, two assists, and a steal. He was six for 16 from the field, four for 10 from three. So a lot of three-point attempts with 40%. You'll take that. A lot of them are open, though, so you could have wished maybe he had hit one more if you're a Pels fan. But five for five from the line. And then the big three, quote-unquote, Jonas Valanciunas, 16 points and 18 rebounds. He was absolutely dominant on the glass. Thought he was snatching everything in sight. It wasn't one of those games where he just got a lot of rebounds and it was open rebounds and all that. Because the Thunder were actually going for offensive rebounds. So he was actually boxing out, grabbing them, and just making his presence felt. 16 and 18. The thing is with Valanciunas is he has his clear flaws. You know, he's not a good defender. He actually, I think, did okay enough in the game. I think they should have fed him the ball more. He only played 30 minutes. And if they had Nance, I mean, that would have helped so much. But 7 for 9 from the field for JV. And then CJ McCollum, 14 points and 4 assists. 2 steals and a block, though. But I still didn't think his defense was very good. He gets targeted. 5 for 15 from the field, just 33%. And a putrid 20% from 3, 1 of 5. CJ, for the second straight year, third if you're really being real, letting his team down. And I really like the guy, but man, I don't know. I still think he can be a third guy on this team, but this is the first guy. Brandon Ingram, 30 points, 6 rebounds, and 7 assists, a block. He did have 4 turnovers, though, 4 of the 11. Considering how much he has the ball, that's not too crazy. Probably could have done without one of those. 10 for 19 from the field, 1 for 2 from deep, 9 for 11 from the line. If he had just gone 10 for 11, it would have been huge. But overall, I don't. I mean, if you want to fault B.I., you can because he lost the ball at the end. He didn't close, but he was he was still really good, man. The Thunder, let's read, and so the, for the Pelicans, I mean, actually, no, let's read the Thunder's lines, and then we'll talk about the end, but the Thunder shot 46% from the field, 30% from three, so not even that great from there, 11 for 37. Pelicans, though, just a little bit better. So what's funny is both of these games, the team that made and shot better from three lost, actually, which is rare in today's league. The Pelicans shot nine for 28 from deep, only 32%, um, but the Thunder, let's go to the bench. I, um, let's start with Sarich, who I thought actually gave some nice relief minutes. 4.3 rebounds for him in, uh, in two for three shooting. And then Aaron Wiggins. I thought he did a good job being the screener in some short roll actions when he was in. He was minus 12. He wasn't very good defensively. He was getting put in some actions. Seven points for him on two for three shooting. Offensively, I thought he was okay. Isaiah Joe, pretty quiet. Had played 19 minutes. Uh, three points, one of five from the field. He was a plus three. I have to pay more attention to him next game. But it was mainly the show of the starters. Arkansas Jalen Williams, eight points and eight rebounds to go along with eight assists too. Wow, I didn't notice that at all. He was a game high plus 20, game high. So his stats don't lie. He played a really solid second half. He's extremely undersized at the five. You gotta check out how tall this guy is. 6'9", yeah, 6'9", but I mean, he made big plays in the second half. I can't knock him on that. Eight points, eight rebounds, eight assists. I got to say, some of those assists had, I mean, were clearly just generously giving. I don't remember them at all. Easy passes, but um, he was making some good reads in the short roll, that's for sure. 
I think a couple of those were from that. But yeah, eight points, eight boards, eight assists. J-Dub. You would think he had a bad game because of his shooting. Four for 14 from the field, 0 for 5 from 3. But I think he absolutely made big plays. And for him to give Dort some relief by guarding Ingram and just not getting destroyed, that was huge. And he also was able to initiate the offense to put SGA away from the basketball in the second half. So, got to give a lot of credit to Jalen Williams. They have three guys in that starting lineup that can bring up the ball. And even Lou Dort's not terrible with the ball in his hands. So, that Thunder team, man, they got so much potential. And because it's really because SGA took this leap. That's really what it is. You know, you have, can have the picks and all that come, going forward, but SGA now looks more like a potential superstar than just a star in the making. Now he's already made the all-star team, but he's going to be a superstar. So <laughs> sky's the limit now for OKC. Now you got your guy. You can build around him. Giddy's a dude too. Speaking of Gideon Dort, let's go right to them. And this Jalen Williams guy's good too. Played 40 minutes. By the way, Giddy, 42 minutes. Williams, 40 minutes. Gilgis Alexander, 41 minutes. Dort. 36 minutes, he had 27 points and 5 boards, that was a season high, 8 for 14 from the field, 7 for 8 from the line, and an astonishing, when it counts, 4 for 8 from 3, 50%, unbelievable for Lou Dort, who absolutely played the best game I've ever seen him play, and he did it on both ends of the floor, you gotta love it, he was blowing up screens, man, just fighting through them, the guy is impressive. And when he plays like that offensively, takes his Thunder team to another level. And then Josh Giddy, I really like this guy, man. He's younger than me by four years. And he has just played like a seasoned vet. He's obviously been playing pro for a while. But what he was able to do, just his um, unorthodox finishes around the basket. I said it again. I'm going to say it again, I should say. He gets two feet in the paint as easy as anybody I've seen that's not athletic in terms of bounce or speed. And they sag off on him, too. That's the crazy part. They sag off him. And he still gets in the paint and makes plays, man, whether it be passing the ball, scoring, and then rebounding. Very sneaky with the offensive glass and also on the defensive glass. He had, let's see how many offensive rebounds he had in this game. Four. Four offensive rebounds. And also made big free throws. 31 points. Nine rebounds and 10 assists and only two turnovers. So five to one assist to turnover ratio. Only one rebound away from a triple-double in his first postseason game. 11 for 22 from the field, 50%. And his weakness is the three ball. Three for seven from deep and six for seven from the line. So Josh Giddy playing superbly. And his backcourt running mate did it again. You know, or should I say for the first time? Because this is the first time he really had the number one option kind of pressure. In a postseason game, and this is what this is what the I don't want to say the greatness because he's you know he's so young still, but this is how good SGA is is that the whole game plan for the Pelicans was make somebody else beat them, and he still dropped thirty two fucking points. That is how you know he's a professional scorer. That's how you know he's a superstar in the making and just that dude. Whereas they say now, him and he cricket, <laughs> they don't say that, but. Yeah, he's that dude. Um, blitzed, hedged hard, had the best defender on him all night that wasn't going to switch. Only two different guys really guard him, Richardson and Herb Jones, and he still did insane things in the second half. I mean, come on. Come on. He closed. Big shot after big shot. The steal on Brandon Ingram, taking it personally, going all the way, and then the one-legged fade off the right foot. Unbelievable. 32 points, five rebounds, three assists, three steals, and a block. 
two turnovers for SGA, 50% shooting on 11 for 22 from the field, two for five from three, eight for eight from the line. Of course, he's so good at getting to the line. In 41 minutes, he was a plus 15, and he will live to see another day. What a win for the Thunder. I'm going to close with this before I go to the comments. The Pelicans, they can give this another year. They have an amazing core. But if Zion can't stay healthy another year, they got to talk about this. Because it's, it's becoming really annoying for the fans at this point. Because they were number one in the West in December. They were 23-12. and 12, And they're now going home in the play-in. First play, they even make it to the second play-in. But hey, you know what? As much as I like the Pelicans, taste your own medicine, bitches. That's what you get. Last year, you figured out how to win in the play-in. Now you feel what it's like to lose. But I love Brandon Ingram. I feel sorry for him. CJ McCollum didn't perform. Herb Jones got to work on his three ball. But Larry Nance, Alvarado, and Zion were really missed. As far as the Thunder, they live to see another day. Amazing tenacity, amazing fight. And you know what? I got them beating the Timberwolves. I think they play smarter than them, and they're younger. I think SGA is a smarter player than Ant. I think Giddy's also a smarter player than Ant. And Carl Anthony Towns is just stupid for a star. I said it the other day. I think the Wolves are going to lose. I think the Thunder are going to come in there and win. I think they're a better defensive team. And we'll see whether Gobert back may make a difference. But SGA is so good in the in-between game that it may not even matter. So I got the Thunder. And then they'll lose to the Nuggets in like five games or four games. But what a win for them. Great night of hoops, man. And by the way, just so I can finish on this, I enjoy watching the play-in games, but I'm still anti-play-in because the regular season is, is a joke. So I, I don't enjoy that. But anyway, I... I'm done for the night. The timestamp will be here for the games, you know, when I talked about the Pelicans and the Thunder game. If you made it this far, I really appreciate you listening to me talk for an hour and 13 minutes. My God, I got to do a better job of making these quicker and being more concise, not taking notes on every fucking detail in, in the quarters, but... I try to do my best, man, to be as thorough as possible so in years from now you can kind of remember what happened through my lens. Um, I really appreciate it, everybody. And, of course, going live on Friday night to talk about Miami and Atlanta, um, sorry, Miami and Chicago and OKC in Minnesota. Have a great night. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. No L.A. team, so it's a little bit quieter tonight. 22 people in the live. Peace out and have a good night. And please make sure to check out – I dropped three episodes today. Three episodes. I've been working, like, I don't mean to sound like tooting my own horn, but, like, literally so hard, man. Um, I got a preview out with the Nets and the Sixers with Chris from Hoop Spaces, a longtime Sixers fan, and Caleb from the Brooklyn Netcast. That's, that was a great episode. And then Kiana, a great Celtics fan. She knew her shit. And Hawks Fan TV. He is hilarious. Check that one out as well. And then the Knicks-Cavs one with two New Yorkers, All Ball and Fabian, and L.A. Broadus from Akron, Ohio. It was great. It was great. And then tomorrow... Clippers? No, not Clippers. We're going to save that for Saturday. Ooh, should I put Lakers on Saturday? Nah, let's do it tomorrow. Lakers, Grizzlies. Tomorrow with Coach C.L. Owens. Maybe Saturday. Maybe. Because I'm not going to be going live on Saturday. I'm going to be going live on Sunday. I do every single game like I did in 2021. Recapping all eight games. That's going to be insane. It'll be like a two-hour fucking episode. I need to find it. It probably will be two hours, but we'll see. If I can make it one hour, that'd be nice. Um... But Lakers preview coming out tomorrow probably. And for sure coming out tomorrow is the Kings Warriors. And I'm going to have a Warriors fan and a Kings fan from Sacramento to join me in that. It's going to be awesome. And Saturday will be the Clippers with you and me. Just me. Just the way you like it. 
Also, make sure to check out Locked On Clippers. They did a crossover with Brendan Clean, the host of Locked On Suns. That was good stuff. So check it out. A lot of content from me. I want you guys informed with the most authentic stuff you can find anywhere. Peace out. Playoff time is here. On to tomorrow.